0: Welcome to Metapod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're talking about Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 12, Let Sleeping Borg Lie. I was not excited about the Borg being in Prodigy, because I was like, these are children, how can they defeat the Borg? How can they even go up against them? But actually, I thought this was really good.
1: I was more concerned about the fan backlash, which I'm still concerned about, but I I haven't. I've done well on Mm -hmm. uh, setting my social media (laughs) so that I don't see any of the backlash, so good for me! So I don't know if there is any backlash, but I was terrified of it. I was like, oh no, there's going to be so many people who are going to say that the Borg have been sanitized and ruined and they're woke now or something (laughs) nonsense like that. So that was my main fear. I'm always down for the Borg because I actually really like them as a concept. Yes. So... I was excited for it, but I wasn't looking forward to the fan reaction.
0: Mmm. No, I can see that. Maybe I was afraid I would have the fan reaction that you're talking about. Mm. Oh Mm. no, this is worse than that time Voyager ruined the Borg. Which I generally don't agree with. I think TNG ruined the Borg with Descent. And the Borg have been slowly recovering as a concept ever since.
1: I mean, Descent is just terrible.
0: It's so bad.
1: (laughs) I need to talk about... A poorly constructed
0: mm. story. I mean, Unimatrix Zero is not a great two-parter, but nope, it's nope. still better than Descent.
1: But I thought the strength of this episode is that it distilled many different versions of the Borg in one episode. And yes. I thought that was very well done.
0: And it also did all so. of that and did something new with them. Right. I know we say this every time we talk about Prodigy, except when there's a Ferengi there, but this show is so good at what it's doing. It was, a again, a very tight
1: episode that mm. really forwarded the story while also bringing in a lot of Star Trek lore.
0: Yes. And advancing its own story so we can talk about how the Diviner altered the Protostar to attack Starfleet by hiding a weapon beneath the bridge. Can I just say, this is going to sound weird, but I would really love to cosplay the weapon.
1: (laughs) It's a question. Yes. Did we know that the Diviner hates Starfleet?
0: Yes. Unlike you, I didn't do a rewatch just recently, but my understanding is, and fortunately they revisited the holodeck to show us this scene again in this episode... Starfleet is going to make first contact with the Diviners' people, which triggers a civil war wherein they destroy themselves. Right,
1: right, 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 I remember that. Okay,
0: it clearly didn't stick in my mind
1: (laughs) (laughs) as a well thought out. I appreciate the idea of Starfleet screwed up a planet Mm. and then didn't fix it, which they played with in Lower Decks this season. I was
0: just going to say.
1: It's good. I like that they're doing this.
0: I noted from an interview that Chakotay's whole mission in the Delta Quadrant was to revisit the places where Voyager had been and not only check in, but sort of undo some of the damage that Voyager did passing through. So basically Captain Freeman's whole second contact mission and the concepts that was developed in the Lower Decks finale. And I love that the Lower Decks finale is about Starfleet belatedly following up on a lot of planets that Picard noped out of after the adventure of the week and then we have the very foundation of Prodigy being a planet where first contact seems to have been you know, Starfleet popped in and said hi! and then left and they destroyed themselves.
1: I was in the middle of saying that I completely forgot that happened and I apologize for completely forgetting that happened (laughs) but it is super reminiscent of, for example, any planet that Kirk visited. Yes. And destroyed their entire way of living and then left. Yes. <laughs> Which happened on multiple occasions. Starfleet showed up and said, You're doing your planet wrong. <laughs> this is the way you should be doing your planet. I am going to make it impossible for you to continue doing what you're doing and then I'm going to leave.
0: Yeah. And I think that's been a running gag in especially the earlier episodes of Lower Decks too. So I love that we have the comedic take and the dramatic take. Yes. The two animated series are so completely different in style and content and audience and intent, but they're effectively telling the same story.
1: It's great. Yeah. That's that's amazing.
0: I had forgotten that the Diviner had the Protostar in his hands at some point mm-hmm. and then lost it. I had completely missed it. That's that. funny.
1: I remembered that part, but I forgot the why he was... I was like, why does he hate Starfleet so much? <laughs> because it's a very specific weapon.
0: Yes.
1: It's not I am trying to... You know, gain power. I am not trying to conquer. I am actually just really trying to destroy the people who destroyed me. Mm. And that's very interesting.
0: It's basically a terrorist's weapon. Yes, exactly. It's interesting. And I had also missed or failed to put together in this show for children, which I am watching as an adult, that Janeway thinks Chakotay is still in command of the proto-star.
1: Oh right, yes. I didn't it makes sense, but I didn't notice either, yeah. I mean Jane Way my whole Janeway section is like, oh no. Mm. Oh no, Jane Way. Stop, stop that. <laughs> it, everything that is happening in the Jane Way side of the plot is wrong, and we as the audience know that. So it gives you all this dramatic empathy. Yes. <laughs> that- like, no, I don't want this for you. The part with the diviner is the worst. That is just
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Janeway, as we know, Janeway is a collector of people. Yes. <laughs> and she has a saving people thing. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that these these miscreants who hurt Chakotay and stole the Protostar also stole this poor, comatose old man's daughter.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> He's really setting her up.
0: But I also feel, <laughs> is this a safe space for Rings of Power spoilers? Can we talk about the character who turned out to be Sauron?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, sure.
0: Okay, I listeners, if you have not watched Rings of Power, you should do that, but also we are going to spoil you in a big way. So, I I had not paid attention to Halbrand through the whole season because he was the most generic character and I did not care, and I was like, why is he here? I hate him. And also I had him confused with Elon Dill for many scenes. So I actually really need to do a rewatch. But I had twigged by the end before the reveal that he was Sauron, and I was like, oh, I guess, I guess, whatever. So Galadriel taking him to Kelleborn and enabling him to trigger the creation of the rings of power was like that horror movie don't open the door galadriel don't take him with you (laughs) and janeway taking the diviner onto her ship and i assume that she is going to collect him and add him to her people that is so much worse because the diviner no offense to halbrand but the diviner is much much scarier than Sauron.
1: I love that you find the diviner scarier than Halbrand. I think that also makes King, whatever his name is.
0: Denethor, the Scar- noble character. Yes. Mm.
1: Scarier than Sauron, is that what you're saying?
0: Because that's kind of great. I prefer book Denethor to movie Denethor, but they're both terrifying and I hate them.
1: He's definitely the most frightening character in those three films. Sauron is a non he's, he's like a... he's nothing in the, f- the films. He yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I love that they are making Sauron a real person. Yes. That's, yes. That's my favorite thing. So, A++, <laughs> Rings of Power, <laughs> and yes, it is terrifying. The, the Diviner, someone who has dedicated his entire existence to destroying the thing that she loves the most. Yes. Yes. And tricking her by not even knowing that he's pushing on her buttons. But once he wakes up, he will also figure it out. I'm sure. Absolutely. Because he's smart enough to see in people what you need to to push on. So I'm I like, I hate it, but I love it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, but it's really, really hard to watch.
0: It's so hard to watch.
1: Every assumption she makes is wrong when she gets to the destroyed starbase and is like, Chakotay would never destroy a Starfleet base full of innocence. And I was like, okay, first of all, not full of anyone. No. Second of all, that guy was not innocent. <laughs> and third of all, this is not... The debris of an attack on Starfleet.
0: But also, fourth, Chakotay was literally in the marquee. Good point, good
1: point. (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about the weapon of a
0: terrorist. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's particularly hard to watch because we know Janeway and we are invested in her journey and we don't want her to be wrong. It's... Like watching Star Trek Picard, where Picard is making mistakes at every turn, except this time the writers know what they're doing.
1: Because when Picard was making mistakes at every turn, I'm still not convinced the writers
0: knew that. Exactly. (laughs) Whereas I really do feel safe in the hands of these writers, I'm just concerned about what they're going to do to me before Mm -hmm. they bring me home to a satisfying conclusion. Before we move off of Janeway, I want to flag your question, which doctor ordered her not to drink coffee? I'm just going to say Pulaski.
1: As someone who drinks way too much coffee, I pay attention to what people say about coffee and Mm. I don't think that there's any reason not to drink it. So that doctor is wrong. Mm. (laughs) And I think it's unfair to take away Janeway's comfort drink Mm
0: -hmm. when she's going on such a stressful mission. Last week she had her cup of tea on the bridge and people pointed it out and they were like, look, these writers don't know what they're doing. They never even watched the show. And I think it was Aaron Waltke again. I love him. We should get him on as a guest. But he pointed to Admiral Janeway drinking tea in Endgame. And yes. Endgame comes up again here with yes the dormancy of the Borg. But also, like, in the morning I have my two cups of tea and then a few hours later I have my coffee. Like, mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. can drink both, it's not a binary.
1: Oh, and also, like, tea has caffeine in it. Like, it's not... Right. It's, it's
0: not like it's eminently better. Also, and this is probably just me being a tea snob, but she replicates the tea and it comes out with a tea bag. <laughs> what? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, she is so bad at drinking tea that she's replicating it and drinking it with the bag in it. Picard would never.
1: I was going to say, but even Picard,
0: yeah, who chooses
1: the most boring tea possible to be his go-to, would never.
0: I have to defend him there. Patrick Stewart wanted his thing to be Lapsang Souchong, and I think it was Gene Roddenberry who said that was too obscure and it needed to be a tea that Americans would recognize. So, okay, yeah, I don't blame Picard for that, but also... Like, just just take the tea bag out. It's replicated. You can replicate the tea without the bag in it. Okay, I'm moving on.
1: Okay, so <sighs> I want to
0: talk about the Borg. The Borg. Because
1: my first comment is that these children come across a sleeping
0: Borg ship, mm-hmm.
1: and they instantly decide that it has the answers to all of their
0: problems. They take one look at a cube and decide to steal from it, and... <laughs> yeah is excellent, and also a
1: clear indication that Janeway is their mentor.
0: I like to think that in the briefing she gives them off screen, she starts running off the list of all of the things that Voyager did with the Borg, and then she realizes that she has no grounds on which she can tell these kids to stay away.
1: Exactly, exactly. That is the thing. And she doesn't even put up that much of a fight. She's like, we really shouldn't do this. Okay, fine.
0: (laughs) The amazing thing to me, is that she somehow kept from Rock Talk that there are probably children on that cube. Because you know Rock Talk would have saved every single child drone that she could carry.
1: Man, Rock Talk was great in the fight. She was so good. That was a great fight because they were trying so hard to use their phasers mm-hmm. and they weren't working and then they were like, okay we gotta be scrappy, we gotta be scrappy
0: mm. kids mm.
1: from the prison break.
0: And it worked out. I love that Rock Talk doesn't want to be seen as just the big, strong one, but if she has to use her strength and power, she will, and she's not ashamed. There's no sense that she wants to make herself smaller. I'm going to cosplay Rock Talk, and I'm going to make a life-size beanbag Murph. Good. This Murph is Good too plans. small.
1: I know, but he's so adorable I though. know, I love, him. I love him I love him so much I actually really enjoyed Janeway and Murph alone together on the bridge
0: I was watching the kids and I was like <laughs> is Murph with them? Because it just seems like taking Murph onto a ball cube is going to be really really bad <laughs> and true. then I saw him left on the ship and I was like yep, yeah, okay
1: They were ahead of you yeah. <laughs> They had already made that decision
0: Look, these kids aren't stupid
1: <laughs> But Janeway was like oh yes, Murph yeah. to like like a cat or something. It was adorable. It was just perfect.
0: So great. You mentioned callbacks to ball gaps in TNG, Voyager, and even Picard. Obviously, I spotted Voyager. The end game references was the TNG reference. The fact that the Borg look like they did in TNG, rather than the first contact Borg.
1: I would say yes, aesthetically yes. But what I was referring to is actually when Zero put them to sleep, oh, which is what Picard, Picard does. Yeah. Picard and Data. So I saw, or maybe it was in the Discord, you know, someone said that love and friendship is a good weapon against the Borg if you're a rainbow cloud of Mm -hmm. emotion. But it also is if you're Captain Picard. Yes. It also is if you are a small child who has been saved from the Borg and are now a 20-something beautiful blonde woman. Mm. Friendship saves Hugh. Like, in every case of a Borg coming back, it actually was Friendship is Magic. And I think that that is great. I know that I am in the minority as the person who wants the Borg redemption arc, Mm. and for the Borg to not be terrifying zombie weapon creatures, but to be individuals who... And come back from it. Yes. But that is what I want. (laughs) And I think that this episode was on my side. The thesis of this episode was, regardless of what kind of weapon you are, and regardless of how you got there, you have the opportunity to come back. And we will welcome you if you do everything that is necessary to give up Mm. your weaponhood.
0: (laughs) This is a great segue into my secondary crack theory for this episode, which is that the weapon on the Protostar is sentient and is going to become part of the team. I realise that we already have a non-humanoid sentient rainbow, but what if we have more non-humanoid characters? And I really like the idea of Gwyn bonding with the weapon as something that was created by her father like her, and Zero as a fellow weapon and a fellow non-humanoid. It would be such a great, like, little
1: triangle of those three characters because Mm. Zero and Gwen's relationship is obviously the through line for this episode. And it was beautiful. Absolutely. And I love this idea because it's a very kids' show. Mm. And it's why I love... 12-year-olds, even though everybody I know tells me that they're the worst people, and I kind of agree, but they're also the best (laughs) people. And there's this idea of when you have passed childhood, but you haven't become an adult, that anything is possible. Yeah. And that you can make mistakes, and you can be forgiven for those mistakes. Like, adults don't believe in forgiveness, and kids don't believe in mistakes. And so there's this in-between time where we were saying last week that Rock Talk is allowed to fail and Mm. come back from it. And this episode was about Gwyn and Zero saying, we failed each other in the past, but by doing so and keeping going and continuing to have this relationship, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. We, yeah. We've we moved past that. We are not failures because of it. And I just think that is such a powerful message that you can almost only tell in a kid's story.
0: No, I think that is sadly true. And I think it's partially because the crimes that children can commit against each other are generally lesser than those of adults. But at the same time, if you reach a certain age and there's no room for grace or atonement or redemption, then what is the point? I'm going to talk about Sauron again. I started reading the Silmarillion. It's not for, okay, it's not that it's not very good. It's not for me. But I skipped ahead to the Rings of Power chapter and there's this whole thing about how Sauron was like Morgoth's lieutenant and then after Morgoth's fall, Sauron repented and Sauron wanted to do better, but he was afraid of facing the consequences of his actions. So Mm -hmm. turning back to evil was an easier course for him. And I think in this situation, Gwyn and Zero could have very easily held grudges and that would have been an easier course for them. But instead they're doing the harder work of becoming friends and trusting. Yeah. That's my
1: Darth Vader and Kylo Ren argument of I'm already bad and everyone sees me as bad so I guess that's what I'm going to be. Yeah. And it takes a lot more fortitude to say no, I'm going to reject that. Yeah, But it also, like, Anakin and Ben only come back when someone says, hey, I still believe in you. I still think you can. Right. And so it also requires us on the other side to give them that grace and that Mm. opportunity Mm. and say that there is a place for atonement. It's not blanket forgiveness. It's offering a different path.
0: Yes. And... I am up to the point in Avatar The Last Airbender where Zuko does his famous hero turn and, you know, actively seeks redemption. And suddenly I wonder if his is held up as the great, iconic redemption arc and hashtag the only good one because he doesn't have anyone believing in him. Like, he has to hit rock bottom and make the choice alone. And that is a great story, but... It really absolves anyone else of the work of having to believe in him. Yeah, and I think that that's
1: unfair. I don't. Right. I don't want to live in a community or a society that requires people to do everything on their own. Right. That's not a community.
0: Exactly. And it is completely in character for Zuko to do it the hard way. That is absolutely perfect for his story because he could have more easily redeemed himself at many points earlier because people did at that point believe in him. But no, he had to push them away and, you know, take the hard road. But not every character has to do that.
1: And I just, I really love that all of the Prodigy crew sort of invited Gwyn into their, they, they were like ah, your dad's kind of terrible and so we can't hold that against you <laughs> so even though you did wrong things we're going to give you the opportunity to join us and now do good things.
0: Yeah and it did take them a few weeks to get to that point. Because it's not, like again, it's not this blanket forgiveness it's mm. not
1: like flip a switch and you're good now. But it's also not flip a switch and you're bad now. And like the, 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 the interesting part about the Zero and Gwyn story is that Zero saved Gwyn by harming her Yes, and they were so upset about it like Mm. it clearly had such a toll on them they were still so upset even in this episode like I can't believe I did this to someone that I consider a friend Mm. and Gwyn you know was able to say you did it because it was the best option for me Yes. And if you hadn't done it, I would have been more harmed. I might not even be here. And I understand that. And so I'm not holding the harm against you. And I just think Mm -hmm. that that is something it's almost like not to be me, (laughs) but, you know, a traumatic childhood and parent relationship or like a relationship with an addict, you know, where there are these terrible things that they did while they were under the influence of something or under the stress of something or like whatever was going on that made this horrible thing happen that you are not the worst thing you ever did yes and we can still have a relationship if we both put in the effort to heal those Mm. terrible things that happened and that's not Again, you know i I, want, I don't want to say that everyone has to do that. You don't have to forgive your abusers or whatever, but society mm. should have a place for that to happen.
0: I think it's also key that Zero didn't even harm Gwyn intentionally. They did it completely by accident. She was collateral damage. And I think part of their guilt over harming Gwyn is really about all of the other people they hurt when they were being used by the Diviner as a weapon. And Gwyn is just the symbol of all of those people. I'm not sure she realizes yes. that.
1: I think that definitely, because, it, and that's why it's so important that this story was told in this episode, mm. because that's the you know connection to Picard and the mm. Borg part that I see, is that there is this, If something happens to you that, like, creates the situation where you harm people, whether you want to or not, Mm. that is something that is harming you as well.
0: Yes, and that is a recurring feature in Seven of Nine's stories in Voyager, too. Exactly. Mm. So any of
1: these, you know, recovered Borg, that is a a really important ending. It's important to me, and this is why I'm still so angry at Picard, mm-hmm. one of many reasons, but that idea of society doesn't want to put in the work on their end mm. to accept the reclaimed Borg yeah, or the reclaimed Romulans. There's so much there that could teach us in our real society of, you know, we have to have a space for these conversations and we have to have a space for coming
0: together. I think the connection to Picard in this episode is that this cube, now that it's been woken up from post-Endgame dormancy, is going to cruise on out to the Beta Quadrant, run into a Tal Shiar ship, and collapse and become the Borg Reclamation Project.
1: I feel like there was this suggestion that Prodigy would continue the Picard storyline oh. at one point. And so I, I like actually really want that to be true. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe it, but I really want it to be true.
0: Yes, I like the idea that these kids were the catalyst for a lot of these drones being saved. I, I, I like that.
1: Because these kids, and again, we're going back to my idea that children have more hope for the future. Like It's not a, an accident that coming-of-age and hero stories are about that age group, that we don't have a lot of adult heroes, that even the ones who are physically adults are still like struggling with with their parental issues, for example, (laughs) Hmm. because to believe that the world can change, you either have to be a child or you have to be me. Hmm. And I am, like a lot of people think I'm crazy, and I don't mind. Because it probably is crazy and it probably is childish and naive. Naive Mm. is a a word that is certainly thrown out to anybody who thinks that the world could be better if we just
0: like wanted it to. This is so strange to me because (laughs) of the two of us, I'm the optimistic one.
1: It should be this you know, in this other way uh, that is better for all involved. And I don't understand why people don't want it to be better for all involved. And I just think that it's all wrapped up in this idea of forgiveness and this idea of allowing people to fail and allowing people to make mistakes Mm. and allowing for lots of different ways of experiencing the world.
0: One of the things I've realised as I get older is that you never really stop coming of age. And it's like improving any skill. Being a person is just a constant series of Reaching a level, plateauing, and then improving in some other way. And you constantly do this your whole life. You never stop becoming a new person. And this is why I think it's important that Janeway's arc here, human Janeway, not hollow Janeway, is about her being completely wrong. Because it's, it's almost the flip side of Endgame, where Admiral Janeway has realized she's made terrible mistakes and gone back to fix them, but in a really toxic and destructive way, human Janeway is making mistakes and that's okay. She doesn't need to go back in time to fix them. Right, exactly. I'm sorry, I just realized the Diviner is the anti-Admiral Janeway. She traveled (laughs) back in time to save the people she loved and he traveled back in time to destroy the people he hates. Which is why this show is really well
1: done and included Janeway on purpose.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs)
1: I just think that I I I love the morals of this story. And I again, it only has those morals because it's a kids show. Mm. Because adult television is supposed to be gray, and I'm not saying that's a like that that's not bad. It's not mm. bad to have gray because life is gray. But allowing for this kids show which is totally gray but also has very strict morals very clear like so the the end of this episode they get a distress signal mm. and they say well let's go help these people yeah. We don't have to be starfleet to help these people and that is the message that is all i need Mm. that is exactly it you do not have to have power or catch it or to be important to go try and help people yeah you should just do it
0: and i really enjoyed that as a contrast against again the lower decks finale which is in part about Mariner realizing that she Really values the structure of Starfleet and having a clear chain of command against which she can push. And I think that's an important arc for her. I don't hate it at all, but I like that we have the flip side. We can't get into Starfleet. We're going to be good people anyway.
1: The beautiful ending where they were wearing their uniforms the entire time they were on the board crew, Mm. but then, like, in this last scene where they were talking about how they can't make the ship safe for starfleet they Mm. can't join starfleet they were out of uniform but they were like well that doesn't mean that we we can't use the ship for good just because the ship's a weapon against starfleet if we avoid starfleet yes we can do so much good anyway and that like that's that's the crux of we are starfleet right yeah yeah that's the whole point so i just it was beautiful it was like
0: amazing it was great, and I think the other value of having a clear moral in your series, I'm not saying for a minute that all all media needs to be for children and sanitised and black and white, but I'm watching Andor, which is an outstanding piece of television, and I would mm-hmm, have said mm-hmm. that it, it is not remotely morally grey. It is a very clear portrait of fascism, And how it impacts lives at every level. But then you have people who watch it and go, wow, this prison seems like a really good system. I like it. We should do that. And it's like, maybe adults are not ready for sophisticated moral grey areas. Mm -hmm. Except Mm -hmm. us, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. Certain adults. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. I think my final feeling about this episode is that As per your feelings about redemption arcs, Zero was basically almost assimilated and came back from that, and it didn't feel cheap. It didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it was depowering the Borg. And I think in part because we've never seen the Borg assimilate a non-corporeal being or someone who has experience with a hive mind, Mm -hmm. but it felt internally consistent with Prodigy, and with Star Trek as a whole. And if this was an audience member's first introduction to the Borg, then I hope they were terrified and go back for more. I mean, can we just say that, like, Roktok and Jankum and
1: Dahl and Gwyn were, like, going to be assimilated. Yeah! They were, they were attached Ooh. to the machine, and they were coming, like, Jankum was very nearly assimilated in this episode. Yeah, So it wasn't it wasn't like it, you know. we're not showing the Borg doing what they do.
0: Yeah, I did notice the lack of assimilation tubules, like we really were back to the TNG style, mm-hmm. strap you down and cut bits off you assimilation, but I actually wonder if maybe the tubules were too scary for the younger members of the target audience. And also I think the Best of Both Worlds style assimilation is equally terrifying. It's just different different ways. Yeah, maybe their nanoprobes were still warming up. Uh, so I really think that the visually,
1: Zero's non-assimilation, like when the tubes, the tentacles of the Borg had yes. surrounded them, and then they broke free yes. and were just the, the beautiful rainbow cloud, I mean, that was a beautiful representation of fighting back against assimilation. And also... A for using the words resistance is not futile.
0: Yes, my friends, my <laughs> children. Also, I just thought that was a really clever visualization of entering the collective hive mind. Yes. like th- There are a lot of ways to do it, some cheesy, some not. And I think that was a really clever one that we haven't seen before. I also liked how the cube, you know, freed from the budget constraints of live action television, the cube looked like a city inside. That was new. And that some of the Borg were like, creepy, weird rhino dudes. And and the protostar flies through the cube. We've never seen that before. That is amazing! (laughs) This show, it's so great. Alright. Is
1: Are we done? Yes. Thank you for listening to AntiMatterPod. You can find our show notes at AntiMatterPod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at AntimatterPod, and write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com.
0: This is assuming that Twitter exists when this episode <laughs> goes out in a few days. I was going to say, <laughs> today we're hmm. on Twitter, but who knows what's yeah. happening.
1: If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy. Episode 13. I'm excited.